Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of anime trending. If you're looking for nice tea and deep dive analysis about otaku things, you've come to the right place. We love our conversation and discussion, and we're back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about women creators in the anime industry part two. So, thank you everyone for your patience as we took a two week break. And so, one of us was gone、uh, for vacation, but the other two, we were basically exhausted from Anime Expo and we really needed an extra week off in order to sort of get our energy back. But we are back with this extremely fun topic simply because of the fact that, you know, now. Uh, it is time to talk about actual women who work in the anime industry itself. So, we're not talking about their source materials writers, and specifically women who have reached higher positions. Because while there is no doubt、uh, women who are working in the industry, there is very, very, very little amounts of them you can count on in regards to becoming a director or a famous screenwriter. And Once again, that is unfortunately something consistent across the entertainment industry. In fact, it crosses against cultures as well. I mentioned this briefly in the first,、uh, in the first part, but I will think it's b a r e repeating again. Hollywood has the exact same problem. There are just not as many women directors as there are men. And a lot of times, the women directors don't get the same exact kind of spotlight and recognition that men directors do as well. So, this is definitely not a thing that is like relegated to anime per se. But because it is a thing that's relegated to the inter- entertainment industry as a whole, regardless of where the entertainment comes from, I still think it's worth highlighting the women who have managed to rise up to those particular tops. So, um, We picked, uh, we picked several today to talk about, and the girls and I decided to divide it amongst ourselves on focusing on which ones they would like to spotlight out of the set group because、uh, there is unfortunately a limited amount we can choose from. So, to list them all very quickly, there is Atsuko Ishizuka, who is a director, and、uh, Hiroko Utsumi, who is also a director. We have Kotomi、uh, Diai. I actually, I actually don't know how to pronounce her last name, so I apologize ahead of time for butchering it, honestly.、Uh, but she is a director and writer.、Uh, Miyuki Kuroki is a director, and Yuko Kakihara is a screenwriter. And then we have、uh, Rei Matsumoto, and,、uh, who is a director, and Mari Okada, who is a director and writer. Now, I do want to note that Kyoto Animation actually also has several、uh, names of women who are in very high positions, but Kyoto Animation is a very unique studio in that regard. And those people have,、um, those women actually have, are allowed spotlight thanks to Kyoto Animation's、uh, big push for them in regards to their work and their contributions to their anime. So, we want to focus on some of the ones outside Kyoto Animation this particular episode, per se.、Uh, so, with that being said, you know, out of this whole group, Isabel, why don't you start us off? You know, who did you pick out of this set of women? And、um, you can just start off with the first one and tell us, you know, why did you pick this woman out of all of them and your experience with their anime, if you've had any, and, you know, just any other interesting things you want to talk about in discussing her work in regards to the anime industry. Yeah, absolutely.、Um, so, the first one that caught my eye on the list、um, that I wanted to speak about is Hiroko Utsumi, who is a director. And, and she's mostly known for at least the ones that we had listed here were Banana Fish,、uh, Skate the Infinity, 
and and also free the the series free about swimming mm, yes and um she is um she originally was from or started off working uh at kyoto animation and so you know she worked on a lot of 2000s anime such as the melancholy of haruhi suzumiya and other shows like that um and then i think free was her first series uh that she took on the director role for uh which i was surprised i didn't actually know the directors behind these series at all skate the infinity banana fish etc um until you know we started looking into it and i was like wow these are the series that i actually really liked um and i didn't know that the director was actually a woman behind these and so it was a nice surprise to me um and i feel like between these shows or the shows that utsumi does take on um they have you know they're directed more for females um obviously free with um the main characters uh, being male but then they and then the same with skate the infinity but also kind of going over the relationships um you know in these series so i think she focuses a lot on that uh, there's a lot of interviews as well online with her going over these series uh one interesting tidbit i found was that as she was starting banana fish which was around 2018 um she was actually asked to start on skate the infinity uh right as she was starting banana fish uh so i thought that was that was wild that you know she just started a project but she's already thinking of the next project and I really love the fact that, you know, especially since I believe Free and Banana Fish both have um previous or based on previous works, uh, either a light novel um and then the manga for Banana Fish, um but Skate the Infinity is actually kind of her first original anime based off of skateboarding, which is actually also a hobby of hers, uh which I didn't Oh. Mhm. And I had to read that twice like did I actually read that correctly in this that she actually likes skateboarding and things like that so yes she does uh she actually likes uh snowboarding but then you know going snowboarding uh she said it, you know going up a mountain it's a whole day trip right you can't go snowboarding all the time and things like that and so she took on skateboarding because it's something you can you know pick up and go every day and and so based on her personal experience of skateboarding is how you know she came up with the characters for Skate the Infinity uh and also kind of working with other people uh on making the you know the mechanics kind of real for Skate the Infinity like is this possible while skating and things like that um so i thought that was a really awesome tidbit at least for an original series that i didn't expect too much of out of i just thought you know they just made it oh skateboarding is another type of show that are sports quote unquote sports anime that hasn't been done yet and i believe that you know she was able to carry that out because of her relationship in previous series um such as free and and banana fish kind of stands out just because it you know it's based off the manga and she's she had to kind of go back to the source material and focus on a different type of relationship uh between ag and ash um in that series and um, but yeah, I think that's the theme across all of her, all of the shows that she's done um, overall. Um, and I know all of all of you have watched these shows. Uh, I just want to know your thoughts on it, and then maybe if you have noticed anything other uh, or other shows that Utsumi has been on. 
So I'll go ahead and say like a little quick tidbit is uh, Utsumi-san has been a very successful director in the uh, in the anime community to the point that Escape the Infinity was essentially so successful it got the season two greenlit, which I think you guys have noticed is pretty mm-hmm. rare for original anime in the first place. But not only that, she also got to essentially uh, direct another original anime, and that one is upcoming. And I believe it's uh, coming out in 2024 and it's called Buchigiri. And um, the PV was actually shared in regards to um, in regards to Anime Expo. And since you weren't <laughs> since you weren't there at the uh, to watch the PV, uh, Isabel, I just wanted to share this very hilarious message that James had sent because he accidentally watched it like that wasn't a panel he was planning okay. to sit in on, but he did and he wasn't expecting it. And so. Uh, so he was talking about, um, he was like, wow, the Buchigiri characters have all the girls in this panel screaming. And he's like, there's a man with a twink face, but the PV shows he has back muscles you can shred cheese on. <laughs> and so- <laughs> and I was, a plus, James, I, a plus. I was like, you know, a common sort of joke we make is that, you know, James is from STEM and STEM people like, you know, struggle with writing. Like that's something that it's a joke that I feel like everyone knows just in real life that STEM people struggle with writing. And I'm like, James, channel that inner inner writer when you write things because that sentence was beautiful. So, um. But that's something that she definitely has coming up. And uh, like Isabel said, you probably know there is a bit of a sort of similarities between all her uh, between all her anime. They are very uh, I don't think homoerotic is the right word, really. They're very queer coded is what it is. And. Uh, actually, uh, we have, you know, we have uh, we've we've met with uh, inside and industry people to know that, um, you know, this queer coding can't is something that is as far as the anime industry as a whole would let a lot of these originals go. Uh, but a lot of her stuff are queer coded and often with main uh, guy characters who have a very intense relationship. Um, the other thing I was thinking of that I do think it's interesting is uh, Kyoto Animation is very well known for retaining their people. And um, and specifically, she is one of those few individuals who like left Kyoto Animation of her own free mm-hmm. will, from my understanding. Um, uh, there's There's been, unfortunately, turnover after that terrible incident that a lot of people know about, which is something that a lot of people also saw coming because it's, you know, it's a tragedy and things tend to change after a tragedy. But um, before that, she had already left and she was helming things like Banana Fish at Mappa and then Escape the Infinity at Bones. So I thought that was another interesting tidbit about her specifically that uh, that made her stood out. But yeah, so um, so that's really all I have about about Utsumi-san. Uh, Agnes, I, I don't know if you've had your experience with her work. I mean, you watched Skate the Infinity, so I didn't know that. <laughs> Skate the Infinity was great, but yeah, I do agree that I think a lot of her work, especially after coming out from Kyoto Animations, is very queer-coded, and it really shines in her direction and the, how close the relationships are between the two respective male leads, especially if you look at something like Banana Fish or you look at something like Skate the Infinity, that you're just kind of like, hmm, this is a very interesting direction for two male characters. Versus like if you take like a shonen, for instance, right, where you have like two male characters in a setting, they're usually like very rivalry or very bromancy, but they're not very like as touchy-feely as you would see in Skate the Infinity or um 
uh, in the, uh, sorry, banana fish. So I definitely can see it. And I also see some slice of it too, because she was an animator for things like Lucky Star and K-On too. So I feel like a lot of that very close friendship that you can kind of squint as queer code, it definitely carries over from her work. For sure. Uh, alrighty, so that was one of the ones you picked from the list, Isabel. What was the other one that you uh, that you wanted to highlight? Yes, uh, the second one I wanted to highlight on this list was uh, Yuko Kakihara, and uh, she is uh, mostly a screenwriter or in charge of series composition uh, for most of the series that, uh, for more of the recent series that she's been on. Uh, specifically on this list, we have screenwriter for Aquatrope, Buddy Daddies, as well as Irodoku World of Colors. And out of these, I've only seen, I believe, Buddy Daddies. Um, and in terms of series composition, uh, she started off from what I've seen based off of her works previously is that she was mostly uh, a scriptwriter. Mm-hmm. And um, and scriptwriters, I believe, I'm not. I'm not too. I'm not too. I I do know some of the roles, but I feel like a lot of the roles in animation, there's just so many roles that I can't keep track of exactly what they do. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong. But for a script scriptwriter, what they do is they you know write specific things um, that's in an episode within a series, kind of like the dialogue um, or direction and things like that yes you're correct Uh, and the first series composition however it's more of kind of like the general gist of everything and how actually i think the pacing mostly plays out Mm -hmm. um, across all the episodes did you have anything to add to that gracie am i right no you are right so script is a lot more specific um so oftentimes when you see credits for script it's like specific episodes that they worked on but then series composition is like the the head writer as a whole who is overlooking how the script is going and um and basically like you said making sure of the pacing making sure of the overall dialogue the overall atmosphere is getting um is getting put out. So I almost want to say script is like the trees and then series composition is the forest. Uh. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great way to put that. Um, so yes, yeah, based off her works of, you know, handling a lot of series compositions, um, I see another one here that's Tsuki Gakire. Uh, and I know another one that you have watched is Gakuen Babysitters as well. Yes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it seems like, you know, the series that, uh, you know, she takes on um, and works on are kind of, a little bit slower pace, but pace, mm-hmm. I would say, almost perfectly from start to finish um, based off the series that I'm seeing here, as well as Chihaya Furu. You know, that's a long time running series, as well as Cells at Work. Uh, and the fact that, you know, she's able to assist others um, and, you know, make sure that each episode is going going smoothly and overall pacing it so it, it doesn't end up, you know, rushing towards the end. I think that's a lot of um, some animes do fall into that pit hole or seems like there may be a season two, but there isn't or something like that. Um, and, and the most recent one that I can talk about, especially for Buddy Daddies, I thought it was kind of perfect from the start to finish. Although there there was a kind of like a tone shift um, because I thought, you know, in the beginning it might have been more like Spy Family or a little more lighthearted, but came kind of, um, not a kind of dark, but also kind of um, realistic in a way. 
um, I thought that was great. And also the progression of, uh, you know, the two, um, two characters as well as, um, you know, the child that they're taking care of overall, I thought it was cute and like kind of balancing that reality and the cuteness, um, in that show overall. Um, yeah, I can't say so much about her. I tried to look for interviews, but I think there's just not that many interviews with people who are either not the director or producer of the series. So I wish we had more insight into exactly uh, what series composition might look like. And I think that's also kind of one of the rare things that you would almost never see. You might see, you'd probably see more of storyboarding and kind of the art um, or animation behind a series. But series composition um, is something that's super important, uh, in my opinion, uh, because it lays out the whole story and series. Um, but yeah, um, I can't name any other series on here. Um, Gracie, did you have more to say about maybe Irodugu of World of Colors that she um, that she did the series composition on, perhaps? Yeah, so I basically watched mm-hmm. all of her originals, and I think, Isabel, you make a really good point in the fact that she is very consistent in her writing. None of her originals ended badly, which is kind of rare, <laughs> as Agnes and I mm. and you also know, like all three of us know, it's pretty rare for originals to be paced so well and end exactly where you can tell they intended to end it. And she is one of those who has managed to like hit every mark in that regard. Uh, but my funny story is that, uh, you know, I watched Irodoku World of Colors and I enjoyed it. It was like it was a nice sort of anime that had like, you know, some intense emotional moments, but ultimately always ended in a very happy sort of hopeful way, which I started to realize is sort of her um, style of writing is that her stories tend to always uh, involve found family and um in friendship and specifically does cover some really hard topics like grief and tragedy and um you know depression and such like that but it always ends on a very hopeful note and, and like a happy ending and i had watched aquatope and i was like something about this anime's atmosphere just really reminds me of irodoku and i don't know why when i was watching it And that's actually what led me to discover her because I looked up who was the writer for Aquatope and I realized the series composition is the same series composition for uh, Iroduku World of Colors and it immediately like connected in my head. I was like, oh, that makes complete sense because it just has her style of writing all over both anime. Um, another one I feel like I I forgot to mention because it, but I'm like, this is a big deal and I should have mentioned it is that she did, um, oh my gosh, what was the other one that she wrote? Describe it. Not orange. Um, it, it's another original. Tsukigakire. Uh, Tsukigakire, do not forget, won our Anime oh. of the Year award, the year that it came out. And she is the writer behind that original anime as well. And that's actually a piece of work that, you know, the cast behind the anime loved so much that to this day would still tweet about it and like talk about it and remember it because they liked it, the story so much. So that's also because of her that she wrote. Um, and so as a result, it's just like, there is such like, there is such a simple beauty to her writing, a type of simple love that's like very, it's straightforward. You know, it, it's about love and it's straightforward and it's nice. And I don't know how to describe it otherwise. And it's a type of vibe that she that it's her signature and it shows up a lot. And, you know, Agnes, I talked to you about that too. And I, and when we discovered Buddy Daddies was once again, the same, uh, the same series composition, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You yeah definitely told so, me that. 
So that's like my note in regards to her. And I do think she is probably one of the most powerful like original series composition uh, people out there simply because all of her work for originals have been so solid. There hasn't been there's legitimately not been a single bad one amongst her work of originals. So and that by itself is a feat. But yeah, Agnes, you definitely know about her because of our whole buddy daddy's craze. So uh, what what do you got? (laughs) I don't have much for anything, but I definitely heard a lot when you and Jack were talking about mm, Aquatope. That's right. And also comparing, kind of comparing notes between that and Buddy Daddies and really definitely seeing that uh, Kakihara has maintained a very steady consistency throughout either of them. And funnily enough, it doesn't seem like it's script writing doesn't change like as if like there is like a higher power that doesn't tell her like oh you have to change the script or anything like that so overall like the tone and the emotional impact still continues to carry on up until the end and I do quite like that I am a bit hesitant about starting Aquatope because I knew that it was a bit like queer baby because it didn't end how people were intending to but maybe I'll pick it up for Iruduku World of Colors I think Jack put it best where I I talked to yes but I talked about this with Jack where I was like I do think she one of her strong points is just writing romantic relationships regardless if it's straight or if it's Mm -hmm. you know queer per se and Jack was like this poor woman is probably like just let me write my relationships the way I want it to like just and so yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) um so yeah but because it's like the 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 random parts of Aquatope where they're like oh no homo it's like it's really weird and it like just really throws a wedge in thing where like that did not come in as smoothly as like the rest of the dialogue so um and once again now that we have a little more background inside knowledge we kind of know what's happening behind the scenes so there is like so it wouldn't be far-fetched to say there was like a force of hand that happened so yeah uh alrighty so um I believe Isabel those are the two that you picked from the list right or did you pick a third one uh no yeah those are the only two that all I right picked. so mm-hmm. Agnes you know what are the people that you pick from this list I pick three of them, um, so I'm going to try to go in order of the ones that I really like the most and then reserve the last one for like okay. the very end, um, so I hope you don't mind that I go overboard for yeah, this Yeah, no, one. no problem. Um, so the first the first one that I wanted to highlight, and I think comes as a bit of a surprise because we talked about this in the previous episode, um, but I wanted to talk about Miyuki mm-hmm. Kuroki, who was the director for Akebi Sailor Uniform, and the reason why I want to talk about this was when we started making this podcast, I had very openly confessed that it was very difficult for me to make relationships or friendships with girls, mainly because I didn't hang out with a lot of them when I was growing up. And a lot of the sentiments about bonding together was a very alien to me. It's very different from like a bromance that you have with a guy mm-hmm. friend, right? Um, but watching a KB Sailor uniform, I think, really opened my eyes about how in-depth and nuanced a female, a girl's relationships could be with each other. And I was very surprised that for most of Akebi Sailor's uniform, for such a weird slice of life that it is, um, from the original manga into the anime adaptation, it's very wholesome. And the fact that a majority of the staff, if not all the staff, were employed by women, which is a rarity in the anime industry, especially if you're not coming from a place like Kyoto Animation. And so I was doing some research on Kuroki um, very briefly. And what's even more interesting to me is that Kuroki started out mostly as 
a part of the animation mm-hmm. department. So she was in a lot of big shows for like key animation, second key animation, animation director. But she this is her first debut as a true director of a series. And I was absolutely blown away by the execution of a Kebby Sailor uniform. It's one thing to have like an animation background and know when to you know, animate or storyboard or create a scene that is very impactful, but to take all of her experiences in animation and kind of culminate it together into a wholesome story about girls bonding at an academy is, I think, very telling of her experience overall. And I would even say that it rivals a lot of other slice-of-life directors who may be male and or male that have maybe some assistance from female staff as well. So I just wanted to highlight Kuroki for her execution on a Kebi Sailor uniform because it definitely had a very big impact, if not eye-opening for me. I was going to say, when you picked her, I was honestly surprised. I was like, oh, I didn't think Agnes was pick her. I, I had my... I didn't yeah, think so either. I had my guesses on who you would have picked, but I was like, definitely not her. But I, but also now I'm learning now. I didn't realize a, a, a KB Sailor uniform had such like a positive impact for you, or at least an eye opening impact for you in regards. It is very eye opening, yeah. Because in when I, like I said, I didn't really grow up with a lot of female friends, so it didn't really click with me as much as I thought it. Uh, it did. I thought it wouldn't click with me as much, but then I realized that there is a f- part of me that does kind of maybe yearn for that female relationships between friends and the last thing that i saw before a kb sailor uniform like way back in the day would have been like mm. k right but k mm. unfortunately while it is very cutesy girl relationships and very wholesome it doesn't feel as nuanced as a kb sailor uniform k is very much like <laughs> kind of funny comedy gags that are th- uh, scattered throughout the show and then of-, of course you have the 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 light music club right which is what i mainly listened and watched Kaon for was for the music rather than kind of dig dive a-, a big dive into female relationships uh, conversely for a kebby sailor uniform you don't have any of those other kind of like super comedic gag moments or a different component that brings the show to life but instead just focuses on the relationship between a bunch of female friends got it yeah no a kebby sailor uniform is so interesting because the manga and the anime are just two completely different flavors <laughs> yeah yes yes um, I remember we discussed yeah about like this. you would yes. never if you read the manga you would never think that the anime is as gorgeously told as it is like there were I I mean obviously I'm very emotional compared to everyone but there were genuinely scenes that just took my breath away in regards to like what they were portraying like one of my favorite scenes in Akabi's sailor uniform and this is definitely the director who's like guiding their hand in this is like when she uh with when Akabi like we find out why Akabi is so intent on like making friends because she grew up in the countryside in like a school where there's barely anyone in her class which is unfortunately a reality that is becoming more and more of a problem now in Japan and so uh when she like so when she's like walking towards the old gym of her school where she basically didn't have any friends because she didn't have an opportunity to make friends and she opens the door expecting it to just be an empty gym but instead like opening the door where it slowly transitions from the old memory to what the gym room looks what the gym looks like now with her entire class like practicing volleyball together like that was one of the most touching scenes for me watching Akabi Sailor Uniform and really just nailed home sort of like the theme of friendship. And I'm like, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of soccer people have noted, they're like, if a woman was not helming this particular work, they don't think that this anime would have pulled it off the way that they, that it did. 
No, it would have been slightly more fetish size if anything <laughs> else. Agreed. Um, I don't know. Did you watch uh, Akabi Sailor Uniform, Isabel? No, I haven't. So, but yeah, you guys speaking about it, I think I'm interested in it, uh, but I have not checked it out. So I'm curious to see, um, you know, my experience with it if I do watch it. Got mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that also, it just kind of popped in my head, what I thought was really interesting is that they really honed on the fact about um, the direction for Akebi, even though it is adapted from a, an original source material. I thought it was really interesting how with a bunch of female um, staff leading it and then also a female director there's a lot of other female trends that are scattered throughout the series like including like a cottagecore vibe mm. when it comes to a kebby and i thought that was like very hyper specific because you, for one you wouldn't really see that in an anime and two you wouldn't really know that unless you are someone who peruses a lot of social media and is in a lot of like i guess like female type of circles so i thought that was very interesting and very like homey vibes for a female i definitely didn't think of that but yeah that's a really really good point (laughs) yeah because like her mom does like her mom is is like i guess like a power woman because she owns like her own place but she sews and everything and makes her you know her own uniform she makes dresses and stuff like that and i'm like that is a very like girlish not in a stereotypical way but almost like very cute girlish cottagecore type of vibe that you would see normally in like the west and less so of it in the east for sure um already so that is your first one so i know you're going in a particular order so what's next in your order <laughs> so my next one that i wanted to highlight is ria matsumoto who did who is the director for kekai sensen and i i originally wanted to leave this for isabel but then isabel also left it for me so we're just kind of like having a tug of war so for this one we can like definitely share this one the rope <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's, it's the Asian courtesy, right? We we leave the ones that we know other people would like. Um, but then we end up kind of staring at it all together. We're like, ah, no one picked it up. Um, but anyway, for uh, Ryo Matsumoto, I think Kekai Sensen, what's so interesting is that we did an interview with some of the, I think it was the producer for Kekai Sensen, who's male. And he loved talking about Kekai Sensen. And while I think he is great, I also wanted to highlight Matsumoto because... There's something about Shonen with Matsumoto that really ties it in not only with the whole like action themes and having it be very bombastic and very dynamic, but the fact that it is very mellow and very melancholic. And there's these themes and lulls about emotions between all of the characters that really pulls the series together rather than just being like this full-out action series that doesn't have that emotional impact. Um... I really wanted to highlight the fact that Rie Matsumoto, with her direction for Kaikai Sensen, instead of following the original manga, which is just every day there's a new case for the um, the Libra organization to figure out and fight against supernatural entities, she introduces a very heartbreaking story about two mage twins, where one of them is forced to take up the heart of New York City and be its protector, while the other one wants to fight for her freedom and to free her from the shackles, but he's unable to do so and ends up siding with the quote-unquote bad guy in order to save her. And having that kind of story parallel with Leonardo's story as the actual main character who has a sister um, that he takes her place for is very... It's a very emotional parallel that I was not expecting from a shonen series. I think I almost teared up a bit when I finished uh, Kekai Sensen season one because I thought it was very well emotionally driven despite the fact that there's just so much chaos for the series overall. And so that was very surprising for me. 
But when I went to go look at her credits, I realized that Ria Matsumoto actually has a slew of episode directions uh, credits for things like pre uh, Precure or, or Predicure, uh, which is a um, like an elementary school magical girl series that's very, very long and running. And a lot of people, even adults to this day in Japan, really like Pretty Cure because it's chock full of like emotional scenes and friendships and other relationships. And I can definitely see that carrying over from her old work into Kekai Sunsun. Yeah, no, pretty. That's actually a bit of information I didn't know that of, of her like being involved with Pretty Cure. Pretty Cure is like is important to the culture, actually, from my understanding. Yes, exactly. So. <laughs> She started working with Pretty Cure stuff since 2006. Wow. So my only yeah. fun fact about her, which is like a slightly mysterious but sad, is that Kekai Sensen is her last like credit work. Yes. No one knows yes, where she went. And in fact, I see the Sakuga people talking about it where they're like, please come back because clearly she has such good vision for her work. And they're like, they don't, They it's just like she never said she was going to quit or anything. She just like, stopped making stuff and it, it isn't like she was showing up in other parts of the entertainment industry for example you know it's not like uh it's not weird if they shift over to the movie industry instead it's just like you can't find credits for her work anymore it's just like where did she go after kekai sensen but um so that's like my one big tidbit that like now i'm curious on as to like what happened that had her leave after that but at least like her last work that she was credited with was a very successful work so uh, I guess in that case, or I guess Isabel, you know, did you want to say anything about Kakai Sensen or specifically uh, Rei Matsumoto? Yeah, I wish I had more to say, um, but she, yeah, just the fact that she did Kakai Sensen and we're curious about what she might do next or, you know, the reason why she might have left. Um, but yeah, I just like the themes in the story. Not only that, taking an original work, um, not original work, but making it kind of half original um, but half from the adapted series, I thought, I think that's really hard to do, right? Um, because people, you know, fans of the original um, manga or novel would want to see it, you know, almost exactly. But introducing new things might make it worse or people might hate it. But it's surprising that everyone loves it, um, including the people working on the show and people wanting, you know, more out of it and learning more about the characters as well. I just really like the connection, especially between the twins, like you mentioned, Agnes, that that was put in there, which I thought would have been already in the story, but it wasn't. So it's amazing how she was able to seamlessly put that in and kind of have this vision about how she wanted the series to look like. Um, but yes, that's all I wanted to add. Mm -hmm. Alrighty, so who are you most passionate about, Agnes, on this list? <laughs> I am most passionate because I cry so much in <laughs> <during> this movie, <laughs> which is, is a, a rarity feat, for me in and of itself. <laughs> it is a feat for the Girl Taku podcast, and that is Mari Okada's work as the director and writer for Makuya, um, When the Promised Flower Blooms. I, I was so moved when I watched the movie that I actually ended up buying the Blu-ray DVD set. So mm -hmm. a lot of my knowledge about Mario Okada comes from Makuya and the special um, edition books that are in the Blu-ray set. Um, and one of the things I wanted to highlight that was really interesting about Mario Okada was during her work for Makuya is she mentions in an interview with the producer Kenji Horikawa that when she was producing it, there were a lot of times when PA Works told her that what you have wanted in this movie 
is something that I don't think we can do. And so there were a lot of moments when creating Makuya that she felt frustrated or felt a bit disappointed that there were parts that she couldn't carry through. And then she quotes in her interview, she says, of course, there these are people that have lots of experience, so it is often the right move as of referring to the fact that these people are giving her advice and if they tell her something can't work, it probably won't be able to work. But then she follows up and says, but there were times when I thought, why not? At night, I was going to sleep and I would think, I really want to do it my way. My lack of experience meant that sometimes I would have to give in without understanding the criticism. However, this production was done over a long span of time, so I was able to figure out what I could and could not be stubborn. There were other times when people who said no originally would say that might work a week later. And I thought that's very telling because, especially for a female in a male-dominated industry, it's very easy to be overshadowed by your male peers, regardless if it's sexist or not, with them saying like, oh, I have more experience and therefore um, I have a better say in this, or just men generally actually being sexist because she's a woman. But the fact that for the entirety of the production of Makwe, she kept pushing for her vision and trying to find ways to make it work without actually compromising the entirety of the movie. And I think that's very awe-inspiring for a female director, um, especially if we take into consideration like how a lot of Hollywood films right now are being shafted because female directors want to do it their way, but a lot of people are booing their efforts because they think that they're not worth it or the vision sucks, essentially. And that was one thing I wanted to highlight. And the other thing that I wanted to highlight was the producer that was in the same interview with her was Horikawa. And he claims that Okada uh, found, Mario Okada found her work after making True Tears at PA Works. But interestingly enough, um, once True Tears was made, she started to receive more work, one of which was Hanasaku Iroha. So what she has made has helped create the PA Works style. Mm. The fact that she has a male producer advocate for her and tell her that just because you're part of PA works doesn't mean that you know you're not you're just like you're just here to make a animation and get out but the fact that she cultivated the style and the presentation of what a PA works is like is very notable and I think a very great like recognition for a female director overall and even she agrees that when after she made Makuya she would get comments from people saying that's a PA work right? It's not like, oh, it's a copy of Anohana, which is another work that she's done, or it's not a copy of Anthem of the Heart, but it is truly a PA work. And that's why Mario Kata was like incentivized to keep going with all of the stuff that she's been doing, because she has the support from both the, a male producer who helped push for Makuya, and then also from everybody else, from like the staff and the fans who also keep pushing her to do what she envisions. So I thought that was really telling um, after reading that, once I finished Makuya and going, this is a true female director that we need in the industry. Yeah, no, Mario Okada is extraordinarily bold, which you would not get the sense of, because I saw her at the panel when Makuya was first uh, shown at Anime Expo several years back, which I cried a lot to. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and specifically after afterwards, like on the panel, like when you hear her talk, she does not come off as that super powered, like sort of badass that she actually is. But her Twitter is also hilarious <laughs> because I think she's like talked about her dating life on her twitter before and oh, it's boy. so funny and you know 
I, I, I love me some good tea. So, of course, obviously, I was curious enough to look at it. But um, she is a really, really bold person. And I, I also wanted to ask you, Agnes, you know, Mario Okada, you know, she's written some really amazing works, but she's also had some misses as well. And does that bother you at all with her misses? Or does that actually enhance her to you more in the fact that she's willing to take risks for misses and stuff like that? I mean, if we're putting into the context of gendered roles, if male directors make a miss, do we make a big that deal is about true. them? You're, you're absolutely correct. So, like, I'll take a really popular example, right? I'll take the example of Gen Urobochi. Gen Urobochi is infamous and most critically acclaimed mm-hmm. for Fate Zero, right? But every single work that he's done after Fate Zero has been a huge miss, including something that you've watched recently, Gracie, was Tokyo Revengers, and something that Kwok really disliked, which was... Um, Chaos, Chaos Dragon. Uh, neither of those two shows did very well. They were very lackluster. They didn't really make a lot of sense. But people just kind of hand wave it off and just let Gen Robochi just do whatever he wants. So I feel like even if Mario Okada, quote unquote, up or has a lot of misses it doesn't necessarily detract her from the good shows that he, she's actually created correct yes no and i completely agree it's like uh, i love her a lot and you know um uh, maki is just such a big impact on me like you it's kind of insane at what she has uh, like what she has my heart in <laughs> so um but yes i think that is one thing i only wanted to point that out because definitely i've seen people criticize and be like well you know sometimes her work isn't strong and stuff like that but you know as you said correctly so who cares we never seem to care about it when the male directors don't uh write as strong compared to their best so it's like why should we care when she does it and really you're correct is that she pushes forward with such like confidence and boldness it is like it makes her just such an admirable and a strong person in this industry she has upcoming uh movies already one of them looks amazing by the way like genuinely like the sakuga people have already been praising it and so i'm really really curious to see what that's going to be because we know very little about that uh, about her next works right now but she has been working very hard on her next one um, and I guess, Isabel, do you have any final comments for Mario Kata? She, she is probably, in my opinion, the best well-known of the group, but uh, that is just my opinion. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think so as well. Um, you know, based off her role and uh, the fact that she directed Makuya. And, yeah, just the fact, that, like, her, you know, talking about, you know, making mistakes or not uh, shows that are not as big of a hit. I think yeah, she she seems to be very true to herself. Like she makes something that she feels that is important to her rather than something that she thinks is going to be popular. I think it has to be seems like meaningful for her and um has to make sense, which is why like Agnes you mentioned that you know, she even though she's getting comments left and right, you know, she still felt that, you know, what what about how I feel about this or how she feels directly about how she wants to portray the characters or the story and and obviously I think you can see from Makia as well as kind of this this story and how it's written and kind of her experience with like um with writing stories um and screenwriting as well for other series I think that has definitely helped in her directing or leading up to directing um Mm -hmm. and yeah I'm curious to what she has next in store and hopefully it'll be a movie that we will enjoy as well Hopefully we don't cry as hard. It's really funny. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, hopefully won't cry as hard. I, I want to make a, a quick note because I was scanning through a lot of her credits prior to her directorial debut with uh, Maquia, and she was actually a screen. Comp- she was doing screen composition for Vampire. Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> she was screen composition for Black Butler oh. both seasons, uh-huh. mind you. Um, she did screen composition for Gothic. Um, she was also screen composition for the pet girl of Sa- uh, Sakura oh, Soul, okay. and then most and most people know this because she was also part of a uh, Mobile Suit Gundam. She was the the series director, a uh, series composition for Iron Blood Orphans, which is also one of my favorite yeah. other series. Yeah, she. I think she got she got a lot of super duper mixed reviews, but overall very like high praise for Iron Blooded Orphans because that was like the latest Gundam that had come out and was like genuinely very like jarring in the sense that it was like emotionally driven and you actually felt for a lot of the characters at the very end um versus i think right now a lot of people are a little bit peeved and making a lot of memes with um uh the witch from mercury <laughs> right now so i think it's a very interesting total shift for sure Alrighty then so are we done with our love for mario kata <laughs> Yes, we are. So that leaves two remaining on the list. And so I'm going to go ahead and go with the first one, one of which that Isabel slept through. I'd like to note, but am I ever letting it go? No, I'm not. So, um, so the first one is Atsuko Ishizuka, and she is the director for A Place Further in the Universe and Goodbye, Don Gleese. And um, for so uh, first of all, A Place Further in the Universe, very, very important and won our Anime of the Year award. In fact, the people so agreed with that particular win that, you know, when we did a sort of decade, um, you know, 2020 sort of special sort of uh, decade award thing, it was runner up. And it was one of the only like newer anime that has managed to get us like to be runner up. But most of the times people were going for the classics for a uh, kind of a bit obvious reasons. But yeah, so um. So because of that, like, you know, she uh, that is her first original work, I believe. But she has worked on other stuff. So, for example, a lot of people, I believe, lament about uh, No Game, No Life. And uh, she is the director for that very, very famous series, which, like, I feel like No Game, No Life is one of those anime where you just, like, year after year after year, you just see people begging, begging, begging for that second season, and it's just not coming. And she was the director for that particular, for that particular series. So now you guys are aware (laughs) um, who they have been uh, begging for. But, uh, but yes, A Place Where the Universe is her first um, original anime that she got to direct. And essentially, it was so successful that uh, Madhouse specifically gave her a movie budget for her to direct and write her own movie for the first time. And so that is good- Goodbye, Donglis. And um, I personally love that movie. And Nico was actually talking about it a few days ago about how, like, so it was Isabel, me, and him who watched the movie. And Isabel slept through it. <laughs> how dare she? <laughs> and then, um, and Ni- I'm sorry. Nico caught, like, I think the tail end of it or something like that. He, he wasn't able to catch the full thing. But then when he found me, he was he was about to ask me, like, oh, what did you think? And instead, I, like, came up to him, like, sniffling. <laughs> like, swollen eyes and everything. He was just like, oh. <laughs> so he was like, I know how you feel about it it's like um her she also i think has a particular touch to her work that you kind of just recognize like 
watching Goodbye Don Gleese, inside my head, I was like, this has a place further than the universe feel. So she has that sort of stylization that is touching her original work in the same way that I was saying about how, um, about how uh, Kakihara Yuko uh, or Yuko Kakihara, the screen, uh, the sc- uh, the uh, series composition, a lot of her originals have like a similar feel and a similar atmosphere to each other, and I definitely feel that with um, Atsuko Ishizuka with her originals. So uh, goodbye, Don Gleese is her most recent one, and so I am genuinely curious on where she's going to show up next. Like, is she going to do another original anime? I I kind of hope so because she did such a good job with a place further than the universe honestly like if that was an anime that was a dark horse no one thought much of it and then when people started watching it they were like this is so good that it word traveled to the point that almost everyone knows about that original anime now so uh, so I I really hope you know that maybe she'll show up again in another series uh, hopefully another original as well but we'll see she's definitely one of the youngest ones on this list as well so she's her her career's got a long a long way to go as well um so yeah so that is atsuko ishizuka i think um you know agnes i i think you watched a place further than the universe right i did watch a place further than this universe it was actually recommended to me by a a former writer that was here at anime trending i read their review and that's what incentivized me to watch the series but i didn't get a chance to watch donglis because i think i had a conflicting panel at the same time, so I didn't get to experience Isabel falling fast asleep and Gracie coming out of the theater completely <laughs> wrecked. So it was a missed opportunity it for me. It would have been very, it's like a very funny moment if you're like an outsider watching the chaos. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I think she's great. And uh, Isabel, do you have anything to say for her? <laughs> I do, actually. Okay. Uh, although. Oh, so you do. I, I, although I did not fully watched Dongli's. I can't say I watched it, but I want to say I watched at least half, at least to notice. I think in um, in the movies or I guess movie and shows that she's directed, there it seems to be, especially in No Game, No Life, you'll notice this as well. A lot of the um, the colors are very saturated in her works. Oh, um, I didn't I think, think you, about you that. You can see that in <laughs> That Dong is a very good well. touch. Very good observation. Yeah, you can notice it clearly no game no life but then I, yes i see it in no game no life and i clearly see it in a place further than this universe mm-hmm. especially when they're um in the i think in the the mid half of the movie where they're making the connecting flight to antarctica but then there's like that whole scene of them having like durian and losing mm-hmm. their passports i definitely saw that and i was like these colors are so saturated for such a vibrant environment that they're doing a layover in but yes please keep going <laughs> Oh, yes. Yeah, that's great that you noticed that because I haven't seen A Place Further in the Universe, so I'm glad that you oh, saw okay, that in okay. there. Another series that she had done before um, that I liked is a sports series called Prince of Stride. Oh, yes. Prince of... Yes, yeah. I remember watching a bit of Prince of Stride. Yeah, yeah. so like, I just th- I just love the style of the characters and then also the colors. Like, Prince of Stride is kind of like this parkour kind of like anime that they like to... Re- it's very cool. Relay Reese's. I thought it was really cool. I almost wanted to do parkour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I was the child that grew up with like Assassin's Creed parkour at like San Diego Comic Con videos. Um, but I, after seeing Prince of Stride, I kind of wanted to do more. But yes, 
yeah unfortunately i feel like the story fell short or they introduced way too many characters at once yeah. but the concept was really cool and the fact that you know she was able to execute that and then kind of make it look so so stylish i thought added to that and then also other series that we've mentioned as well but yeah that's the basic thing i wanted to point out like that i noticed in her work so that the colors are very saturated mm-hmm that is a very like specific style style choice because I would have thought that, especially in a lot of animes, um, you want to have like a lot of vibrant color that makes the series pop so that people would watch it more. But it's interesting that she chooses a style that's more saturated, and funnily enough, it still gathers so much attention for it as well. So that's a mm-hmm. very interesting uh, observation. But yes. That is your first pick, Gracie. What is your second pick? So then? Mm-hmm. the last one on this is actually for an anime that has come out really recently, but it is Kotomi. It's the one with the last name that I, I I'm just gonna butcher. <laughs> so uh, Dai, I yeah, D E A I. Dai. Dai. Oh, that makes more sense. Dai. Yeah, Kotomi Dai, and she was the director and writer for Skip and Loafer this season. But doing my research, I was also extremely pleased to learn that she. Also is the director for Natsume's Book of Friends season five and six and probably seven. So I am extremely excited for that. That makes me so happy. You guys know that um, Natsume's Book of Friends has like a very special place in my heart. And so it just continues to tear my heart apart really every season. And I'm I'm ready for it again is basically what I'm trying to say. So um so that is, uh, so that is the, um, so that is, that's her role. And one thing that I thought was really fascinating is that she is the protege of Watanabe-san, who is nonetheless the director writer of Cowboy Bebop, the very probably one of the most classic and culturally like famous anime out there. She is his protege. He she directly trained under him. She shadowed him. Um, And I learned this via a Sakuga post because of how extraordinarily well-directed Skip and Loafer was. They gave a spotlight to her as the woman who is responsible for the success of this anime. And it turns out she had a huge hand in regards to her mentee and learning from her mentee. So I thought that was extraordinarily um, amazing to see the fact that, you know, she trained under, uh, she trained under him and, um, and now she gets to have her own uh, series that she not only directs, but also write itself. Uh, she's been an episode director for quite some time now. So, for example, uh, Silver Spoon, which Agnes, I know you love. Uh, yep, she was yes. an episode director for several of the episodes there. And she was also assistant director for Silver Spoon. Uh, so not the... Yeah, so not the full oh, wow. director. Um, and she uh, and she also, so she has been in the industry for quite some time. She worked on Kimini Todoke back in the days. And so uh, she was already an episode director then as well. But yes, definitely Skip and Loafer is probably her biggest like main director role. And like I said, not even just main director, but director and writer. And I kind of feel the same way as you, Agnes, when we were talking about Akabi Sailor Uniform, you know, like that, like we felt, you know, we talked about how we just don't think Akabi Sailor Uniform could have been the same if it wasn't led by a woman director. I kind of feel that way about Skip and Loafer. I feel like it wouldn't have been the same if it hadn't been a woman director who was the one directing the stylization of it, the visual direction of it, this um, helping out with the storyboard and stuff like that. And so uh, there is this nuance, this soft nuance touch to it that is also very present in Natsume's Book of Friends. In fact, I think they are quite interchangeable in this regard. And um, that 
Skip and Loafer has because as slice of life and sort of joyful and pastel a Skip and Loafer is, it does actually touch upon very intense and important topics. Um, if Skip and Loafer ever gets another season, one thing I'm really looking forward to is Yuzuki's sort of um, how her character is important about how girls can get sexualized at a very young age without them even being asked about it. And it's just like they had to learn that they were getting sexualized. And it's a very big part of Yuzu's character that made her who she is, that made her a little more aloof around people, especially men. And um, and and you would never expect some kind of a theme like that in regards to something like Skip and Loafer, especially when you first watch it. So it requires a really delicate touch to be able to put such serious topics into something that feels so fluffy and cotton candy like. And Kotomi is uh, Kotomi or Kotomi Di is has been. Uh, Dei has been absolutely stupendous in that regard. And so I just think that she has not only a fascinating background of her work in the anime industry itself, but it's glad. I'm just happy that after so many years of just being an episode director, which, by the way, is no small feat. An episode director is extraordinarily important. Uh, but the fact that she has been an episode director for so long, she finally gets to be like director and writer of such a like at the main helm of things and being in control of it. And I really hope that she gets to have more of it. Also, one last note, um, Agnes, you watched Great Pretender, right? Or at least some of it. I did. Okay. She, do you remember the OP? Because she directed the OP. <laughs> it's a lovely OP. Good choice. Very great stylization. Very engaging too. Um, I have, that's, that's all I have to say really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that- I think that's, what's really interesting is that she has like this softer nuance for something like Skip and Loafer and Natsumi's Book of Friends, but she also has on the other side this very dynamic flair for something like Great Pretender, and I think that's just a wonderful shift and that she's able to straddle like both sides of, not the extreme, but uh, both sides of like different genres oh yeah for sure and i guess like you know how do you guys feel about learning that she was actually the protege of watanabe so i think all of us here love cowboy bebop so <laughs> oh absolutely yeah 100 mm -hmm. percent. anything from watanabe son is absolute gold absolutely amazing that's right mm-hmm uh, yeah, so that is really, um, so that is her, so that is Kotome uh, Dei. I, like I said, she has been in the industry for quite some time. She has been episode director for many, many roles. Unfortunately, for main, main director, we have, um, we basically have the Rolling Girls. Um, and then, um, and then uh, she was episode, uh, uh, and then Silver Spoon season two specifically, she had a more direct role in things. But after that, it's Natsume's Book of Friends and Skip and Loafer. So, um, so hopefully we'll be seeing more of her credits roll in as well because she absolutely deserves it. And I think she killed it for Skip and Loafer. And you guys, I will fight you guys to the death if you disagree with me. So. <laughs> no, not I really. I don't disagree. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, uh, thank so that is our episode for this week. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you guys really enjoyed us spotlighting these women in the anime industry. And I, I don't know, I just find them to be so admirable. Did you guys have fun researching these women and like seeing their works and sort of their journey in the anime industry? Hell yeah. Yeah, I really like just like learning more about the people behind working this uh, or working on the series that I loved. Um, and uh, that I didn't even realize that they were working behind the series so just finding out about that makes me want to look more into you know what they've done 
and then maybe go along that route as well. But yeah, it's very fun. Thank for you. Sure. All right. Well, uh, for everyone listening, I hope this brought some new information for you guys. You know, keep an eye out for these women. And hopefully, you know, crossing our fingers, not only will they continue to thrive, but hopefully we'll have new women directors and screenwriters to show up in the anime industry. That would be an incredible and probably the most ideal thing to have <laughs> resulted as time goes on. But other than that, thank you everyone for listening and we will be back next week with another fun topic. So I hope you'll be here next time. Bye everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.